every one of us can be taken back in just a split second. We'll be driving down the street and on the radio will come this song and in a moment we're taken back years in our life to this defining moment that happened because of one particular song. This happened to my wife and I last night. We were driving home from what's called an event here in Las Vegas called the Joy Prom. If you're not familiar with that, look it up. It's an incredible event that serves a segment of our city. It was an awesome experience there. And we were driving home from that last night and in the car coming back to the house, an old new edition song comes on the radio. And immediately my wife says, I'm back in eighth grade at my eighth grade dance in school because that song, I watched my wife just all of a sudden go back in time to being an eighth grader and just, just right there in the car was a little bit disturbing, right? I mean, we're sitting there, and, but we all have that. We all have music in our lives that's powerful and it takes us back to moments and experiences We all have on our smartphone, our computer, we have playlists of songs, and some of those songs are even labeled by certain defining moments in our lives. Some of those lists are labeled. I have some songs in my life that that take me back to some moments. For example, this is one of the songs that always takes me back to my childhood. Right? Yeah, I mean, every time I hear that song, I mean, all you got to have of that song is just the first lick of that guitar, and you immediately know, Sweet Home Alabama, right? Because I'm from Alabama, so when I hear that song, I mean, to be honest with you, I think I was 12 or 13 years old before I realized that's not the national anthem for our country. Um, Where I'm from, you, you easily get that confused. So when I hear that song, man, I'm taken back to my childhood and going out to the river and skiing and fishing and all the stuff that we used to do when, when I was a kid. There's a, another song that takes me back to a defining moment in my life. Now, this song, it actually predates me just a little bit, but I'll tell you why it's significant in my life. Listen to this song. See if you recognize it. Can't buy me love. Yeah. Some of you know that song right now. It dates before me just a little bit, but the reason that song is important is because there was a movie that came out called Can't Buy Me Love. That was the theme song, and after watching that movie was when I kissed my wife for the very first time, right? So now all the moms are now fully engaged in the sermon. They're all like, oh, that's so awesome, right? So, But the music, when I hear those songs, and when you hear certain songs in your life, they take you back the defining moments. You say, Pastor, why are you talking to us about the power of music? Here's why. Because this weekend, we are launching into a new series. We are going to journey together through the rest of the summer through the Old Testament book of Psalms. Now, let me tell you what Psalms is. Psalms is a divinely inspired playlist of songs that describe every possible kind of human emotion and experience. In many ways, Psalms is the blues of the Bible. The book of Psalms is this collection of songs. The word Psalms that we hear in the English language is actually a transliterated Greek word That was the word that was used to translate the Old Testament into the Greek language called the Septuagint. The Greek word that we get our word psalms from is a word that literally means songs 
accompanied by stringed music. So when you read the Psalms, what you are reading is a collection of songs that God inspired for his people and that the people of God throughout the generations have used to worship God, to enjoy God, and to know God. So Psalms, in many ways, is this divinely inspired playlist. And from now through the end of the summer, we're going to journey week by week through this wonderful collection of songs. Now, I've told you many times, if you've heard me speak for any length of time at all, I've told you over and over again about the impact Proverbs has had in my life personally. For 25 years now of walking with the Lord, probably the book of the Bible that I've spent more time in just devotionally pursuing God is the book of Proverbs. Because there's a proverb for every day of the month. For 25 years, I hadn't done it perfectly, but I've tried daily to read a proverb every day of my life. And through the book of Proverbs, we learn the wisdom and the mind of God. But if there's a book that's second on my list that I've gone to over and over and over again, it's the Old Testament book of Psalms. Proverbs teaches us the mind of God. Psalms reveals the heart of God. All the emotion, all the spectrum of human experience. Many of the Psalms, as you read through them, are songs that were written about defining moments in the life of the people of God. And as they would sing those songs, the people of God would be taken back to those incredible moments with God. For me, as I've journeyed in my own walk with the Lord, in those times where life has gotten difficult or challenging, in those times where I've been discouraged and in need of a fresh word from God, I found myself over and over and over again turning to the book of Psalms. And as I open the Psalms, I call it for me personally, Psalm therapy. I'll just get in the Psalms and I'll just start reading. You say, when do you stop? I stop when I get my joy back. When I hear God speak, sometimes it's one Psalm, sometimes it's 20 Psalms. But I'm just reading through those Psalms, letting God reveal himself to me. Now, as a part of this journey through the summer, we're all going to do something together. When you came in this morning in your seat with something that looks like this, I want everybody to grab that. You say, what is this? It's your daily reading plan. From now through the end of August, first week of September, we're going to daily read the entire book of Psalms together as a family of faith. We're asking you to carve out some time every day to read the Psalms. And what we've done is we've broken it up for you into 17 weeks of reading. So every day, every week, we're all going to be reading the same Psalms together. And then when the weekend gets here, we're going to be preaching out of the Psalms that we've been reading that week. So maybe the very Psalm that God uses to speak into your life, we're going to be preaching out of those Psalms that weekend. Now, as you read through this daily reading plan, we've broken it up so that there's no more than about 30 or 40 verses in the Psalms on any given day. So it's not like you've got to read eight or ten psalms a day. We've broken it up so that on most days it's just one psalm. 
Some days it's a couple of short psalms put together. And then on a couple of days we took one psalm that was really large and we broke it up over several days. But we're going to all read that together through now and the end of the summer. If you're ready right now to commit and say, I'm in. I'm going to daily read psalms from now to the end of the summer. Let me hear an amen. Amen. Wasn't as hard as I hoped for, but I'll take it, all right? We're going to all read this together over the next several months. Now, I want to begin this morning in Psalm 1. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm chapter 1, and I want to read this first psalm together. Here's what it says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if you didn't figure it out yet. What we just read is on your list for tomorrow. Here's what that means. You're already ahead. You're already ahead. I mean, you had not even started yet, and you're ahead of the game. You're already a day ahead of where we're going to read. So I've given you day one. There you go, Psalm 1. What a beautiful psalm as we open this book together. And, and, and there's a lot about this psalm we want to talk about this morning. We don't really know who wrote Psalm 1. It's important that you note as we read through the Psalms together, these are not in chronological order, meaning that Psalm 1 was not necessarily written right before Psalm 2. These were collected by the people of God and put in this order uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God for a reason, but they were not necessarily written in this particular order. Many of the Psalms were written by David himself. This Psalm was not a Psalm of David. Many believe it's probably a psalm written by David's son, Solomon. And they believe that because there's some words that are used here like the the scoffer and the, the path of sinners. These words are not used anywhere else in the book of Psalms, but they're used repeatedly in the book of Proverbs, which was written by Solomon himself. So we don't know exactly who wrote this psalm, but we do know what this psalm is all about. He opens the psalm with this phrase. How blessed. How blessed. In Hebrew, it literally means, oh, the happiness. It's a word that that encompasses and embraces everything that would constitute real happiness. So the psalmist here is opening this book by describing for us the life that enjoys the blessing and the favor of God. How many of you today would say, 
I want my life to enjoy the blessing and favor of God. Let me see your hand. Right? I mean, we all want that. I think, especially today, being Mother's Days, we think about moms, and we'll include dads into this. What is the greatest thing we can give our kids, right? The greatest thing we could pass on to them would be understanding how to live a life where you enjoy the blessing and the favor of God. That's what the psalmist opens with. He's giving us insight into how each one of us in our daily lives can walk in the blessing and the favor of God. So how do you do that? Well, he says three things, and I want to unpack them for you this morning. We're only going to look at the first three verses of this psalm today, but here's the first one. The blessed life takes sin seriously. The blessed life takes sin seriously. Did you hear how he opened this psalm? How blessed is the man who does not. Now listen to the progression. Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the path of sinners. Or sit. You hear the progression? Walk, stand, sit. Counsel. Path, seat. He's describing the blessed life is a life that takes sin seriously. Now, this is so important because we live in a world and in a culture that is desensitized to the seriousness of sin. Let me illustrate it. You probably, like me, saw over the last two weeks in the news this story that came out of the ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers. It dominated the news for the first week of the NBA playoffs when we all began to understand and hear the news about some of the things that this owner believed and said. And our society, rightly so, was shocked and outraged by the despicable sin of racism. In a right way, our society raised up and collectively as a society that was just a cry of outrage over the sin of racism. But here's what I found interesting. There was no outcry over the sin against the sanctity of marriage. You say, what do you mean? You know where we learned about the racism? From a man's girlfriend who was still married to the same woman he'd been married to for over 50 years. And not one news story, not one blip on any news channel raised any question about the issue of this man's morality when it came to his wife and his marriage. Now, I'm not here pointing a finger today. All I'm saying is this. There's some sin in our society that is taken seriously, but much of what the Bible would call sin, our society has embraced as an acceptable way of living one's life. And we have to be careful because we live in that world. And if we're not careful, we can begin to be like our culture, desensitized to the seriousness of sin But the reality is, the Bible teaches that all sin is serious. And let me tell you why all sin is serious. Because sin robs us of the blessing 
and favor of God in our lives. When God says, don't do something. Well, let me say this first. All sin, here's what it really is. Sin is stepping outside of God's defined boundary. That's sin. At its core, that's what sin is. It's stepping over or stepping outside of God's boundary. Now, what we've done in our culture is we've deified some of those things and said, oh, that's really bad sin. But we've accepted other sin as an acceptable way of living your life. And we've said, well, that's not too bad. Everybody's doing that. But here's what the problem with that is. God says all sin is serious because all of it robs us of the blessing and favor of God in our lives. When God says don't do something, you know what God's really saying? God's not saying, let me rob you of all the joy and pleasure of that experience. No, when God says don't do something, you know what God's saying? Don't hurt yourself. You see, God created the world. God created life. And God knows best how life's to be lived. And when God gives us a boundary, it's not saying, I want to rob you of joy and pleasure. It's God saying, I love you. Don't hurt yourself. And when God says, do something, you know what God's saying? He's saying, help yourself. And any time we step outside of God's boundaries for our lives, that he's given us in his word, it robs us of the blessing and favor of God in our lives. That makes it serious. So, so I want to give you just, just a list that you can go back to and look at. I'm not going to unpack all of these. I'm going to make a statement about a couple of them. But I want to give you six reasons why you and I should take sin seriously. You ready? Here's the first one. Sin breaks my fellowship with God. Now, don't misunderstand what I just said. There's a difference in fellowship and relationship, right? Sometimes our kids do things that disrupts our fellowship, but it does not change the relationship. They are still our children. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. Let me prove it to you. First John chapter 1, verse 6. You can write that down. It's not on the screen. Here's what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's what that means. If I say, me and God are good and I'm walking outside of the boundaries that God's given me, here's what the Bible says. You're lying. You and God aren't good. There's a fellowship issue there that needs to be restored in my relationship with God. Sin breaks my fellowship with God. Here's the second one. Sin grieves the heart of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible begins to talk about what our transformed lives look like. And it begins this list of things that as a new follower in Christ, we're laying aside. It talks about things like lying and anger and stealing and dishonesty and unwholesome speech. And here's what it says in Ephesians 4. As we grow in Christ, we're laying those things off. That's not who we are anymore in Christ. But here's what Ephesians 4.30 says. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what that means. When you and I are walking and living in a way that is outside the boundaries and parameters that God has for us, it grieves the heart of God. The word grief there is a word that means to bring about an offense or to bring about sorrow. Meaning that when we step out of bounds from what God's given us as his design for us, it breaks the heart of God. And listen to me, not just the big stuff. Sin breaks the heart of our Father. 
give you a third one. Sin damages my relationships with others. Give me a fourth one. Sin brings unintended consequences into my life and the life of those around me. Galatians 6, Paul writes and he says, Don't be deceived. The word deceived in the Greek language, you, you, you can tell you, you could literally translate that. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. God's not mocked. It says, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Here's what that means. With every action, there are intended and unintended consequences that come into our lives. And sometimes those unintended consequences that come into your life because of sin, not just affect you, but they affect the people around you. Let me give you a fifth one. Sin erodes my testimony for the cause of Christ. Let me give you a sixth one. Sin paves the way that can lead future generations far from God. As I was praying over this this morning, I wrote this down. This is an application for my own life. Rebellion in my life can be the road my children travel down away from God. I want you to look at that list. Why should I take sin seriously? And that's just a surface list. We could double and triple that list. But you see what's happened in our society? We've so allowed society to influence us that we've desensitized ourselves to the real effects of sin in our lives and in the lives of the people around us that we just excuse it and we accept it. We cover it up. But here's what the psalmist says. If you and I are going to live a life enjoying the blessing and favor of God, step one, verse one, is take sin seriously. And he begins to unpack for us what that looks like. And I want to do it for you in in two statements, two areas that if we're going to take sin seriously, if you and I are practically doing this, what does it look like? There are two areas we're constantly examining. Here's the first one. Influence. And here's the question that we have to ask. Is there anything influencing my life that is not pleasing to God? That's where he begins in verse 1. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word counsel there is a word that describes advice or input. And it speaks to that which I'm allowing to influence or have voice into my life. Here's what the psalmist says. If I'm going to enjoy the blessing in favor of God... I've got to examine the things that I'm allowing to have voice, have influence into my life. And really, you answer this question with two interrogatives. Who and what? Who am I allowing to influence? What relationships are speaking into my life? Are those pleasing and honoring to God? And what am I allowing to have influence? What medium? What what, what am I allowing to influence me? And here's a great great quote by A.W. Tozer. Listen to what he said. When we make a choice today, we are deciding who we will be tomorrow. When I make a choice today about who I'm letting speak into my life, who I'm allowing to shape my worldview, when I make a choice today about what I'm allowing to have influence over my mind and my heart and my emotion, I'm making a choice today about the kind of person I'm going to be tomorrow.
And that's why the psalmist says, if we're going to live a life that enjoys the blessing and favor of God, first and foremost, we got to ask the question, is there anything I'm allowing to influence me that's not pleasing to God? But there's a second area, not just influence. It's this word, lifestyle. And here's the question that goes with that one. Is there any area, practice or behavior in my life that is not honoring God? And that's where he begins to talk about standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. This is not just what somebody's speaking into my life. This is what's coming out of my life. So, so get this. If you and I are going to enjoy the blessing and favor of God, there are two questions. And listen, this is not a little test you run yourself through and then you're done. This is daily. Daily, I'm saying, God, what is influencing me? God, what am I letting in? And then, God, what's coming out of me? What is my lifestyle? What's my pattern of behavior? What's my practice? How am I living? And daily before God, we're examining. And the longer we we live in the book of Psalms, we're going to see it because the psalmist cries out in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. It's an ongoing daily battle. And it's significant. Why? Don't miss this. God's will is not only right, it's best. And see, that's where we let the enemy deceive us. God's will is right. Say that with me. God's will is right. How many of you believe that? That's what I thought, right? Now say this with me. God's will is best. One, two, three. God's will is best. I'm not going to make you raise your hand because I don't want to make you lie in church, all right? But there's the disconnect. We all know it's right. The issue we struggle with is we don't believe it's best. If we believed it was best, it's what we'd always do. But we think sometimes we know better. And we try to fill our cup with what we want. But the principle of Proverbs is God's will is not just right. God's will is best. Here's what that means. The best possible life you and I can experience is a life within the parameters and boundaries that God's established for us. So if you and I are going to enjoy God's blessing and favor, the first thing we have to do is take sin seriously. Let me give you a second. Not only take sin seriously, but the blessed life pursues God intimately. Hear what the psalmist said, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But then verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You hear what he's describing there? He's describing the heart of a person that is pursuing God intimately. And when we're doing that, there there are really two expressions that I want to share with you out of this psalm. Number one, when I'm pursuing God intimately, there is a right heart towards his word. The psalmist said his delight is in the law of God. What's your heart towards the Word of God? Do you delight? The word delight is a word that means to take pleasure in. It literally in Hebrew means to turn your heart towards. 
Do you see this? It's an old book of stories with rules and regulations that's hard to live up to. Or do you delight in the law of the Lord? As we study through the book of Psalms, we're going to hear the psalmist express this over and over again. Let me show you some examples. Psalm 119, verse 24. Listen to what he said. Your testimonies also are my, what? Say it out loud. Delight. They are my, what's that? Counselors. Did you know that word counselors there is the same word that's used in Psalm 1-1 in Hebrew. It's that idea of influence. Here's what he said. God, your testimonies, your word, they're my delight. And listen to what he says. They are the dominant influence in my life. Is that what you and I say? Can you say, and I don't want you to answer out loud, but can you say that the word of God is the dominant influence in shaping who you are? Listen to what else the psalmist said. Psalm 119, verse 71. Listen to what David said. He said, it is, say this word out loud, good. It's good that I was what? Wait a minute. When's the last time you said that? Man, it's good for me that times got hard. It's good for me that some stuff didn't go the way I thought it would. That difficult situation in my life, man, that was good. Why would David say it? Well, look what he said. That I may learn your statutes. David found such joy in the word of God. David said, I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care how dark or how difficult it may be. David said, Lord, it is good that I was afflicted. That I may learn the statutes of your word. What's your heart towards the word of God? Oh, I want the blessing in favor of God. Are we pursuing God? Let me show you another one. Look at Psalm 119 verse 72. He said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I think in principle, we'd all say we believe that, right? I mean, nobody's going to say, no, I think thousands of gold and silver pieces is better than the Word of God. No, we'd all say, I believe that. Do we believe that? Because we sure spend a whole lot of time pursuing the last, last half of that verse and not near as much time pursuing the first half of that verse. When I am pursuing God intimately, there is a right heart towards the Word. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to just think about that question. What's your heart towards the Word of God? What's your heart? Let me give you a second statement. When I'm pursuing God intimately, there's a right priority given to His Word. Did you hear what he said? But he delights in the law of the Lord. But then he said... And meditates on his law day and night. The word meditate there, it's a strong word in the Hebrew language. It's it's a word that's difficult sometimes to understand because it, it literally means to ponder or to mutter 
or to read in an undertone or to even hum. And so some people hear the word meditation and what they think about is sitting with your legs crossed and your arms folded and closing your eyes and thinking of your happy place and going hum. But that's not biblically what meditation is. Meditation is something much greater than that. As a matter of fact, Charles Stanley said it this way. Meditation is the quiet contemplation of spiritual truth. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It's not on the screen, but Spurgeon said, Meditation is taking a text of Scripture and carrying it with you all day. If you look up the word meditate in Webster's Dictionary, there are a list of synonyms. You know what one of the synonyms is for the word meditate? It's the word ruminate. Now, too many city folks in the room to know what rumination is. But rumination is a process by which a cow gets all of its nutrients, vitamins, and minerals. Cows have four stomachs, and a cow will eat grass, and the cow will chew that grass, but then the cow will swallow that grass into stomach number one. Now, this is going to bless you before Mother's Day lunch, but just hang on, all right? (laughs) What does the cow do with it out of stomach number one? Well, here's what he does with it. He brings it back up, right? That's why when you drive by a pasture and you see a herd of cattle, what are they always doing? They're always chewing, right? What are they chewing on? They're chewing on what's called the cud. They are bringing that back up and chewing on it again, swallowing it back down in stomach number two, and that's happening over and over and over again. Why? Because if a cow only had one stomach, it'd become weak and anemic, and it would die. Without that process, it cannot obtain all the nutrients, vitamins, and minerals that it needs to survive. Synonym for meditate. We take the Word of God and we ingest it spiritually. Throughout the day, we bring the Word of God back to the forefront of our minds and we chew on it over and over and over again. That's the principle of meditation. Here's what the psalmist said. You want to enjoy the blessing and favor of God? you got to have a right heart towards His Word. And listen... You've got to give right priority to his word. Now, here's, here's what that means. You can't meditate on the word of God without carving out time in your life to put the word of God in. That's why I, uh, about six, eight months ago, I gave you this little three-pronged strategy, daily time in the Word, weekly time in corporate worship under the Word, consistent fellowship in small group with others in the Word. Why do we do that? Because in doing that, we give priority to the Word of God in our lives, and then moment by moment throughout the day, we can bring the Word of God back to our minds, and we can chew on it, and we can meditate on it, and let God speak into our lives out of His Word word. Let me give you just one little example of this in my life. And I've only been doing this for two or three months. I don't even know where this idea came from. I just, it just, 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 I just started doing it. I I had this, like many of you probably, you know, you'll wake up in the middle of the night, have a hard time going back to sleep, or you lay down at night, your mind's racing on a thousand things, have a hard time drifting off to sleep. And so I started doing this thing about two or three months ago where I just started, when I lay down in bed, lights are out, just start going through the ABCs. And With every letter of the alphabet, I would quote a verse that started with that letter of the alphabet 
and just spend a couple of minutes on, start with A. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. B. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And you know what I found? I've not made it to Z yet. <laughs> Hadn't made it there yet. Every time I've done that, I've just drifted off to sleep. But, but here, here's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you that to put myself on a pedestal, but I am saying it to say this, to teach you a principle. I couldn't do that in the dark of the night without having given priority to the Word in my life so that I have those Scriptures stored in my heart that I can go grab. And think about those verses. And let God speak into my heart through that text of Scripture. And I'm telling you, it's been transformational for me personally. What used to be a very frustrating part of the night for me has now become time when I'm alone with my Father. And God's speaking things into my life that I wouldn't get any other way. We want to bless life? we got to take sin seriously. we got to pursue God Intimately. Then there's one final thing I want to share with you. The blessed life enjoys God's favor abundantly. Isn't it interesting how we've added all this stuff to what we think it takes to make your life happy? And the psalmist said, there's really two things. You take sin seriously. You pursue God intimately. And then you'll enjoy his favor abundantly. And he gives it to us with this incredible, vivid illustration. He says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. I want to give you three words to hang that little verse on. First word, planted. The word planted describes a life of stability. And here's what it means for you and me. I don't have to worry. When I'm taking sin seriously and I'm pursuing God intimately, here's what he says. You're going to be like a tree that is planted by streams of water. When I read that phrase, my mind always goes back. When I was a kid, when I was a young child, we would always go to the river. I told you that early on. With the Tennessee River flow right through North Alabama. Man, we'd go a lot. We'd, we had a boat. We'd go out to the river. We'd ski. We'd fish. But there's one, there's one little place we'd always go. Some friends of ours had this little, little, little piece of ground right there on the lake. And we'd go set up and we'd camp out. And we'd have all our you know, cooking stuff and all that kind of thing. And then the kids would always run down to the riverbank. Because there was this one tree 
that was down there by the riverbank. And I mean, as a little kid, I only have that memory of it. This tree seemed like it was 100 feet tall. I mean, it was this massive tree. It was so big that the limbs of this tree were bigger than some of the trunks of the other trees. It was just a huge, massive tree. And somebody years before we'd ever gotten there had taken a rope and they'd hung that big, thick rope down off one of those big, enormous limbs of that tree. And we could grab that rope and we could run what seemed like 20 or 30 yards back up the hill. And we would get up on a, there was a stump up there. We would get up on this stump and you could barely hold that rope and you would put your legs, you would lock it around that rope and you would jump off that stump and you would just swing back down that embankment and you would fly out up over the river. And when you, the rope reached its highest point by design, you're supposed to let go of the rope Now, if you don't let go of the rope, it doesn't turn out good for you. But by design, you get out to the highest point and you let go of the rope and you feel like you are flying over the river and then you come crashing down into that river. You know what I never, ever thought about in my life? Whether or not that tree was going to be able to hold me. Never thought about that. You know why? Because that tree was planted. Its root systems were deep and the rich soil that was there along the banks of that river. That's the picture. Planted. Stable. God says, you take sin seriously, you pursue me intimately, planted. Second word, producing. Which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. The word Producing means a life of purpose. And here's what it says for you and me. I have value. How many of you want a life that matters, right? I mean, nobody just wants to be a blip on the radar that's here. We want our lives to have significance and meaning. Here's what God says. God says, you take sin seriously. You pursue me intimately. In season, you're going to bear fruit. Now, that doesn't mean we all bear fruit to the glory of God the same way. God didn't expect me to be Billy Graham. You know what God wants out of Vance Pittman? God wants Vance Pittman full of Jesus. He don't want Billy Graham or anybody else. You know what he wants for you? He wants you full of Jesus. Do you know when you look at trees and, and, and plants, there are some trees that are called evergreens. They bear fruit 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. They're bearing fruit. There are other trees like the night-blooming Sirius, The night-blooming Sirius only produces fruit one night of every year. You think God's disappointed in that tree because it only bears fruit one night of every year? No. That's the way he made it. He is completely glorified in that tree bearing fruit one night a year because that's what God designed it to do. As you and I take sin seriously, pursue God intimately, our lives have value and meaning and purpose, and we get to walk in the design that God has for us. Here's the third word. The third word is the word prospering. And in whatever he does, he prospers. It's a life of plenty. 
And here's what it says for us. Here's the application. I have enough. Now, this is not a promise for material wealth and possessions. That's not what this is. And anybody who does that is perverting the word of God, if that's what they tell you. It's not what this is talking about. Let me tell you what it is talking about. It's talking about contentment. I know a lot of people have a lot of stuff, and they trade it all to be content. Here's what the word of God says. You take sin seriously. You pursue me intimately. You have a life. No worry. You'll have a life of great value. And you'll have a life of plenty. That is the blessed life.